Do you love the Lord this morning? I'm so glad to see you, glad to be with you. It was an awesome experience to have all of you with us um, Christmas Eve. Great to gather in this place and to worship the Lord and sing, Oh, come let us adore him. And we um, been looking forward to the new year for a while and planning for it. The series that we're starting today is called First Things. You guys probably sat around the last few days and thought about the stuff that needs to change, some things that you'd like to add, some things you'd like to subtract in your life, uh, maybe some habits that you want to build, some good ones, maybe, maybe one or two that are not so positive that you'd like to diminish and totally get rid of in 2012. Rather than focusing on all of that and the resolutions and the things that a lot of times never make it past the 15th, I, I really want to try and think about some things that are about priority. Priority speaks of prior. It speaks of something that has importance. It, it is relegated on a higher level. It has preeminence. It is important in our lives. Um, these five things that we're going to be looking at, these five Sundays in January, 1, 8, 15, 22, 29, it's my privilege to kick this off and talk to you today about the priority of presence. And you're probably thinking, now, wait a minute, didn't we just have presence for five weeks in Advent? Last Sunday in, in November and the, those that followed in December all the way up through Christmas Eve, we talked about hope and love and joy and peace and light. And the series this year was captured around the theme of presence, and it was the idea of the Emmanuel concept. Everybody say Emmanuel. Amen. Isaiah 7, 14, it's the sign I'll give you a sign, the Lord says, through prophesying through Isaiah, and he says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Um, it means God with us. And so the whole series that we did in the month of December on presence, not T-S, but C-E, the presence of God, because some folks are more concerned with the presence of P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, that are under the tree, than they are the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, that all of this is about. And too many times we can be focused on the one and not have the other, but if we have the central meaning, then we have all of the other included. If you have his presence, C-E, then you're automatically going to have all of his presence, T-S, that he brings with him. Can I have an amen? So we focused on this Emmanuel principle. God comes down out of heaven and the invisible becomes the visible. The unseen becomes the seen. Angels whose mission, whose purpose of creation is to stand in the presence of God and worship him, the God who is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Angels who have longed to look upon him had never seen his face bowed over the manger in Bethlehem and said, oh, that's what God looks like. Because no eye had seen him. And so when God became flesh, Jesus became the God-man, the firstborn of the new creation of God. And he entered into humanity. It literally was an invasion, and we're going to talk about that this morning for a few moments. I'd like for you to stand with me. I have two verses of scripture that I'd like you to read. We're going to start in the book of Exodus today, Exodus chapter 33. This is the passage of scripture that is very near and dear to my heart, and this is a primary value of our church. We are about presence. We do not want to go through the motions and have all of the trappings of religion and everybody show up except the presence of God because it's his presence that makes all the difference in the world. So read with me heartily this morning. I know some of you are probably still scraping the sleepy out of your eyes from watching the ball drop at midnight or whenever, however late you stayed out. Thank you for being here today, but let's focus our attention and put our hearts together and say this. Here we go. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Bow your hearts 
with me in your heads today. Gracious God, thank you for the unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you that he came and showed us what the Father looked like. Thank you that he lived a a life that theologians describe as impeccable. No sin, no fault, no iniquity was found in him. Thank you that he is our merciful and our faithful high priest. We acknowledge that this morning. We thank you, O God, that we know that we are sinful and you are holy, that we desperately need a Savior. And we begin this new year by acknowledging that and say, Jesus, be Lord of our lives in 2012. We confess you. We look to you. We long for you. Fill this place with your presence today. Holy Spirit, we pray. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord. Listen as I read this passage again to you from the message. The message is a newer paraphrase, technically not a a literal translation, but a paraphrase. And it's put into language that is a little bit more current so that we can understand it. Eugene Peterson writes this and he says, Moses said, if your your presence doesn't take the lead here, then call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not, God? Are you going? Moses is saying. How else will we know that we're special, I and your people, among all other people on this planet. And at first thought, that sounds a little bit self-centered. Moses says, I'm not going if you're not going. I can't do this. This is way bigger than I ever expected. It's way out over my head. All these people that you have given to me and you have, for whatever reason, called me to be the deliverer and lead them out of Egypt, the house of bondage, by the blood, the water, and the spirit. And we're out here now. We've come through. We've seen you, O God, by your mighty acts and by your, upright, your righteous right hand. Open the hinges of the watery Red Sea and slam it shut on the hosts of Pharaoh and all of his chariots and horses. We've seen our past be shut off from us. And we've seen God begin to lead us by cloud of day and by fire of night. Literally, they had the very first known universal GPS tracking system. The the desert would experience, the wilderness would experience 100 degree days and by heat radiation at night, it would drop below freezing. And so the very first air conditioning heating unit known to man was also a global positioning system. Because wherever the cloud by day went, they were covered and in a comfort zone. Wherever the fire went by night, they had provision and heat and warmth. And it was the word of the Lord that went forth that said, when you see the cloud move, then you pull up stakes and you take the camp and you bring it and you follow the cloud. And it's the picture of the Spirit of God leading the children of Israel, the covenant people, through the school of the wilderness until finally bringing them into the place of their rest in the promised land. And so some of you might say, well, just what's the big deal? Why why all this emphasis on presence? Why did you do five weeks in December? And then you're going to start the year on the same thing. It just almost seems a little redundant. I would expect a new word. I want something different. And I want to tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm not saying exactly the same thing. It's a little bit different because we're, we're not just talking about Jesus coming down and demonstrating to us the life of God in human skin. God with skin on is what Jesus was. But we're going to take it a step further this morning because I want you to see that just this picture that we begin with, the big deal of having the presence of God is just the idea that the transcendent of God above all of the universe, the cosmic creator, the one who is unapproachable, dwelling in light, which no man can approach unto, the Bible says, dwelling in immortality, this transcendent God who is above all, who is unreachable, who is unapproachable, comes down to us in Jesus Christ, in the babe, in the manger. I want you to see a couple of things with me this morning. Number two, the God invasion is the big deal. The God invasion is the big deal. 
The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. That's John 1, 1 and 2, the King James Version. And in verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. King James says dwelt, D-W-E-L-T, dwelt. It's the Greek word which literally means tabernacle. The word there literally is the same word for the tabernacle in the wilderness over in the Old Testament. The word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. And so literally when Jesus came to the planet, when he invaded the planet, it was God coming into this place as a God invasion. It was an incarnation. God comes down into flesh. That's what the word incarnation means. Any of you like chili? Okay, when you have chili, do you have it con carne? What does that mean? With meat. Okay, forgive me if this is a little crude, but if you see the phrase con carne, with meat in the, in the Spanish, and if you look at incarnation, it, it literally means is to put on flesh is the idea. So God comes and he's incarnated. Now, notice I did not say reincarnation. As Christians, we believe in incarnation. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, the Bible says. Uh, Shirley McLean might have been a toaster in a past life. I, I, don't, I can't answer for her. But as Christians, we don't believe in reincarnation. You don't get a chance the third 34,000th time to come back and be a cockroach after you were a rat in the last life. There is no transmigration of souls. You have one opportunity. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then afterward the judgment. You get one shot at this baby. So Jesus comes down. He is injected. Divine becomes and takes on human. And at the same time that he's totally, completely, 100% human, man, flesh, he is at the same time all 100% totally, God. He, he, he is... He's not just one or the other, but he's both and. He is the, the beginning of a whole new kind of creation in the earth. The firstborn of the new creation of God. All God, all man, wrapped up in one. And it's a God invasion on the planet. <coughs> Pardon me. i got to stop and have the pause that refreshes. I don't know who this is, but I'm doing it in faith. Chances are you probably don't have as many germs as I've been wrestling with this week anyhow. <coughs> Pardon me. How many of you right now will pray for me for the next 20 minutes because I'm going to need it? <coughs> uh, Christmas Eve was awesome. Woke up Sunday morning with a fever and hacking. Uh, I've birthed a couple of lungs this week. Just, I'm sorry. The God invasion is that he moves into the neighborhood. He demonstrates he gives us a visible opportunity to see how God thinks and lives and moves and works and how he acts and how he has his being. John 1.18 says he literally revealed the Father. It's a, the, the, the Greek word is the idea of the unfolding of a complete exemplifying of the, the, the quality and the nature and the essence and the character of who God is. He, the word was made flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. Point number three, as you look at this, you see that God's move in the scripture is one from transcendence to where he's moving progressively toward more intimacy. God wants to be close to you. God's desire for you in 2012 is to be right up in the middle of your life, to be a, a central part of, to be participating in conversation with you about the decisions that you're making, about the future and the plans that he has for you. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, are thoughts of peace and not of evil, thoughts to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope and, and to prosper you and not to harm you, says the Lord. See, so many folks have messed up ideas about how they think God has, is viewing their lives or the circumstances they've had or the difficulties they've faced in 2011. And yet God has walked with you through those. And God will be with you through thick and thin and through good and bad. In the middle of all of it, everything that you face in 2012, if we walk by faith and not by... Come on, somebody, help me a little bit in this room this morning. 
God has been progressively moving more and more toward intimacy. It begins with God the Father who is transcendent. That's a big $100 theological term, but it basically means that he's so far over us that we cannot even relate. The first attribute of God is not his love, it's his holiness. He is first and foremost holy. That is the only attribute of God that's described in Scripture three times. Nowhere do you see that does it say that God is merciful, 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 or that God is love, love, love. The only thing that describes God in the intensity of three in the superlative sense is God is holy. Say it with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In his holiness, he is something that I am not. He is otherwise. He is unreachable. He is unattainable. He is God and I am not. He is creator. I am creation. I am thankful that he has made me in his image. But even in that, there is brokenness centered in And it marred this thing. And i got to have an answer. I have to have a solution. Otherwise, I live my life in complete frustration. Because I was called to. I was made for something bigger than the frustration that I experience in this life apart from him. I've got to have his presence. God put eternity and built it into the hearts of man. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a time to die, a time to be born, a time to gather stones, a time to throw them away. All of those different times and seasons, he talks about that culminating in the fact that God has put a time in your heart that is eternal, it is immortal, it is one that recognizes that it can only be satisfied when it's filled with the presence of the one who made it. God is moving progressively towards stages of intimacy. He starts as God the Father who's transcendent, but then he reveals himself in time, in 33 and a half years, in a tiny little span upon which history literally is hinged. Everything literally is identified prior to that birth and now following and from or out of or since that birth. Jesus Christ is the hinge point of history. He became the beginning of months, a new season. Today, if Jesus Christ is alive in your heart, then this really is a new season. If he's not, it's just another day that followed yesterday. Oh, it may be a new number on a new calendar. You may pull off December and see January 1. It's no longer 2011. It's now 2012. Yes, it may be different, but there really is nothing quality different in your life except Christ has come in and changed you. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. God the Father transcendent became God the Son imminent. Emmanuel. Imminent. Now, there, there are three different words in the English language that are very confusing. Imminent, I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T, which means nearness as to time. It's imminent. It's about to happen any second. Immanent, which means nearness as to space. If I come down off this platform, at this point, I am transcendent. I'm above Billy. But when I come down here, now our presence is immanent. You have man in the middle of it. God becomes man. See the word Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Don't confuse this with the third English word that sounds exactly the same, but it's different. Eminent, E-M-I-N-E-N-T, which means prioritized above all. These things that we're preaching to you for the next five weeks are Eminent, E-M-I-N-E-N-T. They are important. Jesus is preeminent. He is immanent. Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? And I do believe he's, his coming is imminent. It's near. So if I just totally confused you, go back and listen again. Because there are three terms that all have very, very different meanings, but all sound extremely alike. But this morning, the transcendent, faraway, distant God has become the immanent, man in the middle, immanent, God with us, God dwelling with us. Everybody say Emmanuel. Now, moving from that, he didn't just stop there because even as wonderful as that was, there was a geographical limitation. 
Jesus was only in one place at a time. You remember in John 11, his dear friends were in Bethany and Lazarus had died. And Mary and Martha had sent word. And the Bible says Jesus waited. Matter of fact, he waited four days until he made the short, just a few miles walk. Very easily done in a portion of a day from Jerusalem to Bethany. But he waited. And when he got there, Martha and Mary both said to her, If you had been here. Everybody say here. If you had been here, then our brother would not have died. They recognized there was a geographical limitation. Jesus, now you and I know that, that, that his power was not limited because it was the Roman centurion who basically said, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. That guy had some faith that was really moving well beyond the, the typical faith of the day. So at the same time that I'm telling you that that Jesus' power is not limited, at the same time, there is this geographical limitation. He is God walking around in flesh and bone, and wherever he is, crowds are are seeking him, and little old ladies are are reaching out and touching the hem of his garment. And for uh, 12 years of having blood that wasn't stopped, they would get healed, and, 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 and blind folks would see, and dead folks would get raised because they were in his presence. But Jesus basically says, you know what, guys? Gets them all in the upper room. Passover is being celebrated. It's just about the time that he's going to be the Passover lamb. And from John 13 through John 17, it's the most intimate time in the life of Jesus explaining what he's about to do to his disciples. And he says, guys, I'm going away. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. No, no, no. What do you mean you're going away? He says, no, let me tell you something. It's actually expedient. It's better for you that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter. I've been here with you, but the one that I'm talking about is not just going to be with you. He's going to get up on the inside of you. He's going to be the Holy Spirit who's going to come and lead you and guide you into all truth. Come on, somebody. And so God the Father transcendent becomes God the Son imminent. But now he says, I'm about to send God the Holy Spirit who's going to get on the inside of you and he's going to be personal so that everywhere you go, you take him with you. And it's not just you got to go find out where I am in my geographical location, but I'm going to ascend to heaven and then pour out my spirit. And then that means that everywhere you go who have my spirit on the inside of you, I'm going along with you until we cover every square inch of the known cosmos and the whole universe is filled with the glory of my presence. Are you hearing what the Lord is saying to you this morning? God has progressively been moving toward a place of more intimacy. He wants to be close to you, not just distant, not just far away. It's not God from a distance any longer, but it's God involved in your presence, God involved in your person. Listen to this. John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be what? In you. Everybody say in you. Listen to verse 23. This is not on the screen. Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Him. So that's, that's the transcendent God, the far away, holy God, otherwise than us, and the Son, imminent, God with us, Father and Son, making a family move. And they're going to come in and take up residence in one of the bedrooms in your house. It's going to come in and move up into your neighborhood. Come on, somebody. Matter of fact, when you read this passage in the message, it literally says that. I and the Father will come and move into your neighborhood. I love that. That's so good. God's going to get up in the hood. And and, and he's not scared of the crack house that's four houses down on the left. He's going to move up into your neighborhood. And he's going to deal with and redeem and save and change and transform the stuff even that you are ashamed of and afraid to let anybody know that's going on in the closet of your life. And he's going to get in there and turn the light on in the dark place. And he's going to clean that mess out and do a spring cleaning like you've never seen. And your house is going to get a fresh paint job and a new roof. And guess what? The Spirit of the Lord is going to come on you and it's going to spread to the house next door because that's what the gospel does. And before you 
you know it, the crack house is going to get saved. Come on, somebody. Because God, the Father and the Son, moved up into your neighborhood. Number four. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? I'm preaching myself happy. Number four, don't miss the covenantal pattern. Don't miss the covenantal pattern. God moves, number one, from tabernacle to temple. God was first in the tabernacle of Moses that moved around. Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. When the cloud picked up and moved, they had to pick up and move the tent. There was specific protocol. Twelve tribes. They had to camp a certain way. Three to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west. And they were to set up in ranks. So that literally, if you were to be up on a mountain and you looked into the valley where the tabernacle of Moses was at the very center of the encampment of the covenant people of God, you would see the fire issuing up out of that holiest place of all. It would be glowing in the wilderness. And literally, three camps, three tribes, Judah and Issachar, and Gad, and Asher, and Dan, and and Levi, and Reuben. And you can talk about the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three to the south, three to the north, three to the east, three to the west. It literally was the picture of a great big cross in the wilderness. Thousands of years before the Lamb of God would literally come to be slain on the cross of a hill called Golgotha on Calvary. They saw daily a lamb with a throat slit and the blood spilled. And the sacrifice of the fire of God on the altar would consume it. And the sins of the people would be rolled over like a promissory note. Every year, the highest holy day of all, the feast day of atonement in the middle of the feast of tabernacles, the holy, the most high, the high priest would go in before the presence of God in the tabernacle. This was the means that God used for generations until God brought a man uh, along by the name of David who desired to build God his own house. And God basically said, listen, guys, I don't dwell in houses made with hands or stones. He said, you know, I want to tell you something. That thing out there literally is an embodiment. It carries my presence, but it's not strong enough to hold my presence. And so what God did in the tabernacle as a temporary place he put it in the heart of David who, pre- who prepared and who saved and who brought in cedar from Lebanon and gold from all the nations. And he had everything ready so that his son Solomon, whose name means king of peace, could build the Lord the permanent house, Solomon's temple. So God is moving from a place of intimacy, I mean, I'm sorry, a place of distance into a place of intimacy when his, with his people. And he's moving from a place of temporary habitation for his name into a place of permanent habitation. He went from tabernacle to temple. Say this with me. Tabernacle to temple. Next one, put it up if you would, please. He went from temporary to permanent. Say it with me. He went from temporary to permanent. So when we move this over to the New Testament now, And we see that the first representation of the presence of God in the new covenant is now God himself in the flesh. Jesus is the tent and he moves as the tabernacle of God. If you read in John chapter 1 verse 14, I'll take you back there and remind you. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Greek word tabernacle. It literally means Jesus is now the fulfillment of the embodiment, the in-flesh representation of everything that they saw back there thousands of years ago in what they called the tabernacle of Moses. A brazen altar where sacrifices were slain, Jesus becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A brazen laver where they're washed by water. It is in our identification with Jesus in baptism that we identify with his death. The old man is buried We're raised up in newness of life. You enter into the holy place in the tabernacle of Moses, and you got three pieces of furniture in there that are covered by gold. It's the it's the the golden candle, the golden candlestick. It literally speaks of God's ability through the illumination of his word to lead and to speak to you. It's the the golden table of showbread. It's the fellowship of the saints. It's the it's the enjoyment that we have when we sit down together and we break the bread of communion. 
And then the one right before the great big thick veil, six inches, the, the great veil that was rent in two from top to bottom the day Jesus was crucified on Calvary, signifying that it was a work done by God and not by man from top to bottom. Six inches thick, a veil that took a team of men to hang, that separated the holy place from the most holy place. That piece of furniture that was there before that was the golden altar of incense. It speaks of the prayers and the praise of the, of the prayers and the praise of the saints that's lifted up in the presence of God. As we lifted our worship to the Lord this morning, it is sins to God. God hears that. He answers your prayers. His ears are open to the prayers of the righteous, the Bible says. But you get beyond that into the most holy place, and there is a, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth, and it holds the presence of God. And so that literally is the heart of it right there. It was out of that place where the shining of the presence, the, the light, the glory, the power emanated from that place. And so Jesus literally became the ark of God in the earth, carrying everything that God is in himself. But he died. He was buried. He took our sin. He swallowed up death and sickness and everything that the curse had given to us since our forefathers had sinned in the garden thousands of years ago. Since Adam and Eve had committed high treason and basically said, we will make our own decisions, we will be our own God, we will eat what we want to, and basically flipped God off in the garden. I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's exactly what they did. That was the spirit of it, in other words. Just basically said, you know, we're going to do what we want to do. Jesus Christ took upon all of that. Sin, sickness, death, separation, everything that is in the curse. But then he got up out of the ground, having swallowed it all up. Everybody loves the baby at Christmas, but a baby never makes any demands on your life. Sometimes I wonder what the world thinks about us always going back and singing to a baby in a manger. Because this man been grown for a couple years. He's the king of the universe. He has been. He's not, in a, he's not in a manger. He's not cooing. And he's not just a little sweet lamb. He is a lion on the throne of the universe. Are you hearing me this morning? And so it moves in the New Testament from Jesus temporarily, the limitation of that geographical space to wherever his physical body is, to where he takes it all down into the grave he brings it back. He, he, it's totally obliterated and dealt with, nullified. No more sin, no more sickness, no more death, no more curse. He conquers it and overcomes, and he comes up, and he ascends, and he says, now I'm going to ascend to the, the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon you, and every one of you will become infected and a carrier of the same God germ, the same DNA, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible what does that mean? It means it can't die. The same incorruptible seed. What, 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 what am I saying to you? This thing moved from, from tent to from tabernacle to temple. It moved from temporary to permanent. It moved from Jesus to a many-membered man, a many-membered body, of which Jesus Christ now is the head over this many-membered body. That means that, that literally that you in your neighborhood, in the hood in which you live, are to be the presence of Christ to those people around you. You will be the only Jesus that some of them will ever see because you are to be his hands and his feet. Come on, somebody. So therefore, it makes a difference when Moses says, how will the world know that there's something distinct about us? How will the world know whether or not we're special? I, I, I want to tell you, there needs to be something different. Because all the rest of the world is struggling with everything that is under the curse. And if the only difference is you're just forgiven, I, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't like that bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Yeah, I'm forgiven, but I've got a whole new nature on the inside of me now that if I can learn who I am, I cannot just keep making the same old mistake every day, year in, year out, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2020, 2025. I don't have to keep struggling in the same rut, in the sin pattern that destroys me and pulls me down. Yes, I can enjoy forgiveness, but my God, I can enjoy some deliverance because of the Spirit of Christ. 
There is a difference. There is a difference. There is a difference because Christ is alive on the inside of me. And if he really has come to take up his abode and the transcendent God the Father and the eminent God the Son who is now bringing with them the personal God, the Holy Spirit, and they're moving into me, into my neighborhood. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? If the truth of this ever dawns on you, you can't keep living the same kind of defeated life. When everybody else is discouraged, there's something down on the inside of you. Come on, help me preach a little bit this morning. Something down on the inside of you that says, I don't care what it looks like. Something down on the inside of you that says, you know what? I don't care that I'm having to fight for every word I'm preaching this morning. Bless God, I'm doing it in faith and not by how I feel. (laughs) If it ever dawns on you, That at the start of this brand new year, at the first moment and the first day, and we're challenging you to get in the word because the priority of the word, the priority of his presence is so critical. I'm not challenging you to to read through the New Testament in the next 30 days just so you can get some brownie points with Jesus. Let me tell you, you already have the brownie points. He's crazy about you. He has your picture on his refrigerator in heaven. He is bonkers over you. He loves you. He set his love upon you. The Bible says you are the apple of his eye. I can't preach this any harder than I am right now. Whatever you do, you're not doing it to try to win his favor. You have his favor. He's given you a book with the answers of the universe in it, with wisdom that will guide your life and that will set your heart on fire. And he says, if you'll just give me a little bit of your attention and you will give me a little bit of your time, I will move up into the circumstances of your life and I'll get up in the middle of your neighborhood and I will change the destruction and I'll bring the death into life. (sighs) The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. The same power that raised the dead to life. The same power that opened blind eyes, that unstopped deaf ears, that healed sick folks that the doctors of the day said there was no hope. That's not just a nice story for 2,000 years ago. That's not just, oh, I wish I could have walked with the disciples on the shores of Galilee. God help us that we have a gospel that has been so truncated and the power of it to answer the phone, God's calling somebody. (laughs) God help us if we have so diffused We have declawed the Lion of Judah. If we have so diffused the real power that is in the gospel that we think that all of the really cool stuff happened a long time ago and really all we have today is just a bunch of theological principles, God forgive us, shut up, sit down, go home. I don't want to play that game. I don't want to, I don't believe that. I believe that there is something in the reality. the grave lives in me lives in me your love that rescued the earth lives in me lives in me thank you for your appreciation sound
Put your hands together and give him praise this morning. You may be seated. Let me finish here. Who, who are you repping? Who, 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 look at your neighbor and say, who are you repping? Who are you repping, who are you repping for? Well, some of you older folks are going, it must be his cold. I can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> repping, repping. It's, it's the way the young folks say, represent. That sounded closer. I think I understand what he thought almost that time. Represent. Who are you representing? Who are you representing? I didn't even get, I didn't do this in the last service because it just hit me. <laughs> Representation is when we re help me present. If you're gonna present it, you have to be what? Present. His presence has to be present. So let's go back again. Who are you repping? Are you repping the old man of sin and death, Adam, and all his problems? Are you repping the new man, the new Adam, Christ, who's conquered death, sin, and sickness, the same power that conquered the grave, lives in where? If you ever get a revelation of that and it dawns on your life, it will change. It's like putting on a new pair of glasses. You see everything in a completely different perspective. You are an infected, contagious carrier. You cannot be quarantined. There's something moving down on the inside of you, and I'm not going to stop and preach alien here. But there's something down on the inside of you that's wrestling with you, that you are a carrier of. And it's the very spirit of God himself. Ten things. Some presence indicators. Number one, where's your joy? You have any joy? Where's your joy? I know you've been up late. Where's your joy? The Bible says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Number two, are you growing in honor and strength and giving God glory? First Chronicles 16, 27 says, glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. God wants you to be strong. Strong in the scriptures. Number three, are you thankful? Do you have a song? Psalm 95 and 100 both say, come before his presence with singing. Enter his presence with thanksgiving. Number four, are you hiding? Adam and Eve hid after they sinned. It's so easy to do. To all the trees in the garden, hide around all the trees, behind the leaves, sow some religious works together, try to make it everything look good. You know, you can, you can, be, you can be riddled with sin and a destructive pattern of behavior right up in the middle of your serve team. You can be serving and hiding in the trees in the garden. I can do it while I'm preaching. It's scary. I have to be open with him and not hide from him. I want to be open in his presence, naked before him with whom we have to do. And I'm not talking about nude. I mean just open-souled. Okay? Number five, have you been running? Cain fled from the presence of the Lord. Offended people run and they become wanderers. God, don't let us wander off from your presence in 2012. Number six, refreshing comes from his presence when we repent. Acts 3.19 says times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Repent you therefore. Repent means to change your mind, change your thinking. You know what the first thing you guys need to walk out of here and repent of today is that old defeated mentality. Change your mind. Repentance doesn't mean you come down here and snot and ball all over the place. Now, sometimes repentance means an emotional breaking. But the very core of repentance means, it's the Greek word metanoia. It means change what you're thinking. 
So when you really repent, you change your mind. You start changing your mind. Oh, my goodness, it just dawned on me today. The same power that conquered the grave is on the inside of me. I can't keep living this same kind of defeated life. I just repented when I said that right then. I'm changing my thinking. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Number seven, the believer's joy, hope, and crown is to be in his presence at his coming. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come in 2012, Jesus. Fix all this mess. Fix this crazy government. Fix this world. Fix our lives. Come quickly, Jesus. If he doesn't come and he tarries, then my hope is that if I pass from this mortal coil this year, if I, if I leave this realm and I enter into the next phase of my eternal existence in the presence of God. It is my joy and my hope and my crown that I'll be in his presence and not separated from him. Number eight, if you don't know him, your fate is described quite differently. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? The only way I can abide in his presence is if his blood has been applied and his very presence has come down inside of me to become part of me, then I can stand his presence. If I don't have that, when I get in his presence, I'll burn up. Destruction. Number nine, Jesus is the only way, and I'm finishing this message today. Jesus is the only way, Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus Christ is in the presence of the Father right now. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 that he's literally praying for you, making intercession for you. He's appearing in the presence of God for you, Jason. For you, Jeremy. For you, Rachel. Everybody in this room, if I could stop and take the time to call every one of your names personally, Jesus is appearing in the presence of God, our Father, for us. I just read it to you. But into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Everybody say, for us. So he's interceding. He's praying. Number 10, trust in the presence of the one who alone can do it. Jude one twenty four. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. How do I do that? I take a step and I say, Jesus... I'm a sinner and I need a savior. My life is messed up. Forgive me. Come into my heart. I repent. I turn from, I change my thinking about my past. And I change my thinking about you. And I put my trust in you. And I ask you to change my life. Give me a new nature. Put something new inside of me. Really make this honest to goodness a true new year. Not just another day on the calendar but do something new on the inside of me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. I like a newer translation. It's a little simpler. It just basically says the old is gone, the new has come. You know what? That can happen for you right now, the close of this service. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, the power that I preached about a moment ago the same power that conquered the grave will come and live and abide on the inside of you and it will radically change your life. But you've got to turn from the old one and reach out in faith to receive the new one. Because you can't be dead and alive at the same time. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Revelation 21.2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore nor the former things for the former things have passed away we've just celebrated the babe of Christmas there was no room for him in the inn this morning I just want to ask you if as everybody bows your head closes your eyes and they bring the lights down is he living in your heart this morning have you ever asked him to come be a resident in your neighborhood word was made flesh and he dwelt among us he moved into the neighborhood Jesus wants to come into your house with you he wants to bring some life into some dead places and turn on some light where there's some darkness and you know what he's a gentleman though he's, he's not going to bulldoze the house down but he's knocking at the door. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and literally sit down and dine with him and he with me. Would you take that step of faith this morning in the close of this service? If you've never done that, what a way to actually have a true new year in your life. Start it with a new life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to ask you right now, have you ever done that before? Very simply, it means to turn from the past, repent, change your thinking, change your mind about it. Just realize, hey, this, this mess ain't working. I, I, I got to cry out to God and put my trust in him. I've trusted myself long enough, and I sure have messed this stuff up. So I change my mind about it. I repent. I turn to God. I say, God, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. Any of you, if you'd like to do that right now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call anybody to the front. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, would you like to be included in this prayer that I'm about to pray for everybody? If you want to say with me, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I'm, I'm taking that step of faith right now. If you just slip your hand up, that's all I'm asking for. I just want to see. I want to pray with you. Anybody in the room this morning? Anybody at all? I appreciate your being here today. Let's take this step of faith with us talking to the believers now you know Jesus is your personal savior but you know what you know that you need to take the step this year to put him first to put him in a place of in a place of priority if you would if you if you've heard the Lord speak to you today in this service let me take this off For God to speak to me and do something in my life in this year, would you just slip your hand up with me, please? I'm raising mine. God, I put you first in 2012. I just ask you in the name of Jesus for all of my brothers and sisters here in this place today, Father, who've heard the word, Lord, who've gotten a fresh glimpse of seeing the greatness of your power that literally does reside down on the inside of them. Help us, Lord, to repent of our defeated thinking. Lord, to begin to step out in faith and trust you, to pray and to see you move mountains to see our prayers answered, to see miracles take place in 2012. All that good stuff didn't end 2,000 years ago. It's still for a people and alive today for folks who will reach out in faith and take hold of it. God, we want to be that people. We want to be that church this year. We want to see souls saved, lives transformed, brokenness healed, people brought out of death and into new life, habits, Lord, that have destroyed, people set free from them. Lord, new ones established. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, as we take a step of faith to put you first in your presence, in your spirit, and in your word, and all these things this year, Lord. We'll be careful to give you all the glory and all of God's people said. Amen.